Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lies, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is Sue Thaden, founder and CEO of Client Resources, Inc. Our conversation is being recorded today by Zoom. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast. We accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. Sue Thaden founded Client Resources, Inc., a woman-owned IT talent and solutions business. Since its founding in 1999, CRI has grown to employ over 180 IT professionals with clients across numerous industries and geographies. A business entity that grew out of CRI's Innovation Lab is From Now On, a sports and event-based marketing and communication platform and mobile app working with more than 100 U.S. college and athletic departments, college conferences, and NCAA championship events to drive fan engagement. Sue is active in building community, not least encouraging female involvement in STEM education. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stuart. I'm excited to be here. I was looking forward to spending some time together today. So we were just chatting off air, and I wanted to ask about our first memories of something that might be regarded as information technology. And, and you know, for me, it was, I think it, it, Atari was the brand and this kind of gray and silver and orange box and black screen, a white ball, and you'd move these bars up and down. And, and so that's my first memory of, of something that might be regarded as information technology. What about you? Oh, man, this is really a simple first exposure. So I moved from Minnesota to Omaha as a junior in high school. And we didn't have many computers in our lab in Minnesota. So I had this English comp class and I had to turn in a disc, a floppy disc with my papers on it. I turned it in and the teacher a week later came to me and grabbed one of these students, this guy and said, okay, help her fix her paper. She clearly doesn't know how to use a computer. I had hit return when the sentence would hit the end of the screen. So through my paper, I had all these gaps and spaces and odd places because I didn't understand that the word processor actually managed that for you. So I'll, I'll remember that. I could blush a little bit thinking about how ridiculous it seemed at the time. And looking back, it's actually pretty funny. Um, first encounter with the internet. Oh, yes. You had to do... I was selling software in Ohio, my first job out of college. And to demonstrate, them, I sold it to medical offices. So you carry this huge monitor and this huge podium and I'd wheel them all in and get set up and the doctor's office manager and doctor and whoever would come in for this demo. And I would have to do CD backslash and all these technical terms to get my program to come up. And I remember thinking, man, I don't know if this is going to be for me, (laughs) but it always worked. And we had to pull some things off the internet during the presentation and it would just read just across the screen, like cryptic letters. (laughs) It was more, it was modem transferring everything, but it was interesting. It's so remarkable to think about how we have shaped so much of how we live by technology and the internet. Yeah. I love when you listen to people interviewed and I I can't really put my thumb on it. It was on CNBC and I was driving around noontime about a month ago and it was a CEO and they were really trying to push him on what 5G would do for technology. And he kept saying, it's bigger than we know. We can't, we can't picture it yet. It's bigger than we know. And I, I, it sounds a little brush off, but I take it genuinely. Let's just be as curious as we can and think as big as we can and wild as we can. And we won't outpace the technology. <laughs> uh, you talked about let's be as curious as we can and let's think as big as we can. And I maybe in some ways want to see if I can look under the hood a little bit of Sue Thaden's psyche and kind of see what what makes you tick in that way. So let's let's with that in mind, jump back to your childhood and start there. You know, what, what was your childhood like? Oh yeah. So I'm fifth of seven. My number six is like 12 years later. So only by some books or or fifth baby child by some books, but I have four brothers and two sisters. So a lot of tackle football, basketball in the driveway, kick the can, 
outdoors. You know, it was interesting recently. We've all been hearing how parents are spending so much time with their kids due to COVID and just the way the world is. And these reports, they talk about years ago, parents didn't spend as much time because kids were outside chasing around, playing tag, playing football. And they came in for dinner and went back out and came in for a bath in bed. And we were really uh, outdoor kids. My brother's a year older. We were pretty much tied at the hip, chasing the neighbor kids around playing sports, digging in the dirt, riding skateboards. <laughs> <laughs> where, where was this? Omaha, on and off. And then I moved up to Minnesota in fourth, fifth grade, and then moved back my junior year of high school. So do you think of yourself as an IT professional, an entrepreneur, a business manager, um, a sort of renaissance individual exploring the bounds of human experience through technology? How do you think about yourself? Man, what a great question. I think I most commonly be, most people refer to me as more of an entrepreneurial leader, our advisors, peer groups, uh, you know, by default, you know, I, I see an entrepreneur, I guess, as people can innovate ideas for sure, innovators, and they might be an entrepreneur. What I've been kind of taught and identified as, but the ability to build the company around it, take the product to market, build a business around it, that's sustainable, can thrive and grow. Uh, that's that's probably my skill set. I'm good at starting from scratch. I, I actually like a whiteboard with no lines. <laughs> Didn't serve me well in school, but uh, as, as an adult, when you get more comfortable with that, it, it serves you well. So more innovator slash probably good at seeing the future and developing the business. I can do A and Z really well, maybe B, maybe a couple of the last letters, but the middle, I definitely need executors that go, I see it. Please let me go build that. And I'm like, thank you. I love our partnership. So I'm, I'm, I can see the future really clearly uh, more than probably next steps. I'm more of a great person probably that way. look back on some of your formative years, whether that's childhood, teenage, maybe through college and beyond, do you see moments in your history when that spirit or philosophy about being an entrepreneurial leader, when you can look back and say, oh, I see where that began to take shape for me? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think what I realized, I'd like to say quickly, but it, it probably wasn't quickly, is that Sometimes I saw things like long-term more clearly than the people around me. And I didn't get why we weren't on the same page. And then I realized, you know, so you need to develop some communication skills around what you're seeing and then develop some skills around making sure they understand and that you're on the same page and then add their fingerprints to it. So I think as a younger kid, what I probably, or younger school age, if we're talking like till I was 18 or in college, the thing I probably struggled with the most is steps one through five, doing things in order has never been natural for me. And I might draw a picture or create a paper airplane. And I, I never meant to be harmful. It just, I, I probably worked a little more zigzaggy and I've learned it's okay. But as a student, I didn't always fit in your stereotypical classroom or I'd have a math test and I thought there was more space on the back of the paper. So I'd put my work on the back, maybe lose some points try to explain myself. But I, you know, again, I, I've never been a defiant person. It's just my brain worked that way. And I think that creative thinking is kind of to your question. I felt that pretty young, that I did things maybe a little different. And I think that's what I've grown to be okay with and capitalize on, I suppose. We have a system of education that sort of demands a certain roteness, a certain routine, a certain expectation. It goes A, B, C, one, two, three. And it therefore doesn't fit the mindsets and aptitudes of people like you that don't want to go A, B, C. You want to go A, one, ooh, blue, and, and then come back full circle, right? And yet those are the attributes that we prize in entrepreneurs later. Put you in the corner, tell you to you know focus a little better and I've learned that like now when I, as an adult, it can be frustrating to other people. And of course we want to be great to work with. So I'll have to just write down that one A over here and stay with everybody. But so you get that 
kind of back to the purging of things. You got to learn how to manage for the environment that you're in. Right. So in terms of STEM, I mean, is that is that a little bit of a frustration for you to be, you know, on the one hand, actively wanting to support STEM education, but at the same time, also wanting to give students permission to just be provocative and unexpected and embrace the ambiguity? Yeah, what a great question. So, you know, like, I'll tie a couple things together, if you don't mind. So the question on technologists, I see technology as a means to an end to what we do. We try to create great experiences for people every day, help companies create competitive advantage through phenomenal products and tools and experiences. So technology is has been in my career, my whole career, and it's near and dear to my heart. And I would say I've probably got a business analyst side of technology more than a technical lines of code and understanding amazing appreciation. So I think the discipline of certain aspects of it are unavoidable. It's kind of like if someone were to build your house, let's not get creative on the plumbing and the heating and cooling. Let's do that stuff the way that stuff's supposed to be done. Let's get creative on the design on the countertop, some flooring or some window treatments. So I, I, I support it. I really support it. And I really like the program. So many schools, it's such a journey versus a destination to introduce people to IT and the technology careers. The one thing that I've noticed, at one point I was speaking to superintendents around Nebraska, the state association asked me to speak to them to just help explain the career paths that exist. And the reality is the career paths in technology um, are expanding so constantly that it's very difficult for educators to even have their thumb on that. You know, I think it's business responsibility to bridge that gap of communication and help continue to show, you know, when they designed that one, one click pay in Amazon, that was a huge technology innovation workflow, you know, and just trying to understand the steps of what that took to go from, I used to order my book, put my credit card in, put my address in, and seven days later, the mailman knocked on my door and I got my book. Awesome, I'm reading. And now today, one click and I'm reading it at 10,000 feet in the plane. And so to really help people understand all the careers that exist so that you can ignite maybe the creative on the user experience and maybe the really detailed on the project management or the testing. So I've loved being part of it. And I feel like we all need to contribute where we can. And I feel like we can contribute, you know, if I were to continue on a second, I don't mean to jump too deep, but when UNO asked me to do the chair of women in IT initiative, I thought, man, I've never really chaired anything, chaired anything woman before. So I had a couple meetings that week with clients and with some peers, and they're all like, of course you have to do that. And so at first they had talked about putting together, you know, eight executive women in IT. And I said, man, I think, what do we think of four, you know, handful of men, handful of women? Because it's all about champions, diversity, getting business resources brought to the table so we can just crush this thing. Let's get lots of great people to the table, get all their great ideas. And UNO did a beautiful job executing. So today that program's thriving. We still do two classes a year, and a summer alumni reunion. They've just done amazing building that out. And I guess if I were to give one more comment to that, when, when I first looked at helping you know, when they asked if I would help and I thought, I believe I can help. So sure, I'd love to help. What a great thing to be involved in. You know, if you just think about market and in college, over 50% of students are female. So if IST technology has, let's say 10, 14% female, it means we got a market to tap. So to me, I could pragmatically look at, I see what we need to do. We need to move the needle. We need to create awareness. You know, they say diverse people won't raise their hand in a classroom. Like if you're the only girl or black or, you know, whatever it might be, male, you might not lose your hand as much, you don't get picked as much, you don't get challenged, you exit into a new career path. So that's the thing that I think we need to overcome in IT for a lot of areas of diversity, just continue to get more like people in the room. So people feel more included, more engaged, because really the net gain is we all know diverse teams make the most competitive products. They challenge more, stuff gets done, cool things happen. It's fun. So anything we can do to be helpful in a catalyst or supporting or whatever, that's, that's definitely an area I feel like we should be constantly engaged in helping where we can. Count the moments inside my mind, steep in the afterlife. Watch you watching the colors rise Summer twilight skies on fire Never wish I was somewhere else 
So, Climate Resources Inc, CRI, we need to set the stage, I think, just to what that is. And you founded it in 1999. So what's the, what's the genesis story and a, you know, sort of a quick dash through its history? Okay, quick dash. So I was selling consulting IT staffing, working for an awesome company here in Omaha, and we were sold. It was really exciting. Part of a big out of California, new shirts, new logos, part of some big comp plan changed. Got to say, I was a sales rep at heart. I am a sales rep at heart. Got sold again, comp plan changed. And then our focus shifted from people to bottom line. And I, I totally understand that, by the way. Uh, but as a sales rep that wanted to make a lot of money, it didn't feel great. So I thought, I think I'm going to head out and do something on my own. A couple key people were influential and in saying, yeah, start your own thing. So I raised money, bought BizPlan for Dummies, and started CRI in 99 as an IT staffing firm. And um, just a ton of fun. You know, I'm a build the plane and flight person. So this is just right up my wheelhouse. And so we got going and uh, we were able to have some great growth pretty quick out of the gate. We bought out the investors over about five years. Um, some stories were prettier than others. And I was maturing as a leader. I actually never aspired to be in management or leadership. Uh, it's kind of a means to an end. I really believe in a people-focused culture, serving others. Uh, everybody you know, feeling confident and supported, but very highly accountable. And let's go crush it and thrive and be the best that we were put here to be. So we built that and we've got a fantastic team leading that today and working in that CRI core business. It is the mothership. Our IT consulting is the mothership. About 10 years ago, we had clients saying, hey, you guys understand our technology. We're your client. Build it. Can you build us a product? Or hey, can you build us this solution? And we said, sure. So we were able to build out a, a pretty world-class solutions division that basically we have today a user experience practice we design. We have mobile emerging technology, all native mobile, and we have um, analytics practice and then um, agile services practice. They work with big banks around the country, got some banks over 20 billion that we do all of the from design through everything for some really cool retailers and just a, a big mix along the way that. CRI Solutions has worked for. And then about seven years ago, I was actually at a board meeting in Napa with a great friend who had just sold his business. And he's like, I got to introduce you to one of my advisors. She's a co-founder of salesforce.com. And she helps businesses look, at, look to grow. And I had been telling him, I'm not perfectly clear on our investment for our growth strategy. You know, it always sounds easy, but you kind of want to have somebody like shake up your picture. So you have to clarify it a little bit, speak to it again. And so we were fortunate. She evaluates growth strategies through this, this capability maturity model and different areas of your business. She came and looked at our business and she said, hey, this staffing thing. She said, everybody says, get it great. There's like, get it great all over your walls. And what in the world? They live it. They breathe it. They email each other, wait a gig. Tonight, let's gig. Let's gig. And she's like, it's special. I was like, you know, I think you're right. It is special. They're, the people are special. And so then she said, your solutions, she said, I'm pretty shocked coming from California. This is 10, 12 years ago that you guys really have such enterprise mobile going on in Omaha. I thought it was going to be kind of bubblegummy cute stuff. And she said, but you know what? To diversify, be opportunistic on a product because you build a product and resell it and your margins are greater. And it's kind of a nice compliment to the suite of companies that we had. So Okay, empty binder. So we built an innovation lab. Basically, it still works like this. The, the, team, the team's allowed four hours a month of gig time, get a great time. You can pitch an idea. It's gotta be uh, emerging technology and either good for our clients or good for our community. If the, if the group says go, you draft people from our environment to be on your team and you report the progress. And so uh, February, 2015, we pulled from now on out of our innovation lab. 
So what happened is we had our guys were building this really cool mobile platform, you know, take yourself back a little ways, mobile platform with notifications and wayfinding and listing. And UNO is building this beautiful Baxter across the street from us, right out our window. And we're thinking, man, we could help them trick out fan experience. Their brand is going boom to Division One. They've got this Frozen Four banner. They're this beautiful gift to Omaha. Let's help them. <laughs> Unsolicited. Let's help them. We don't know their problem. They don't, probably don't even have one. So many, so many things that we could do better. So long story short, we met with their team. Um, you know, Trev Alberts, BJ Reed, and after many meetings, said, "Hey, we think we got something cool. You and Oak can use. We think we have something cool that could be a business." We grabbed that technology, FanX, we called it, and built the company from now on that sells today to high schools, colleges, conferences. We actually work with the NCA on about six championships. So it's it's been a fun diversification of what we do. It feels as if someone from outside came in and, and gave you some good consulting, but a part of what you heard was you have permission to go back to what you said at the beginning to me, which was to think bigger, see wider, look further, be more curious. Let's just call it an, an innovation lab, and that's what it will be. But I think that runs counter to many established businesses that want to um, cement the way things are done because it's succeeding. So would you talk a little bit more about the culture of CRI and how much that reflects maybe you and your zest for something um, exploratory and your tolerance for failure too? Wow, a lot there. So culture, I'll, if I could, I'd start with, we define the word culture with how we do things. How do we do things? And we define it with service. That's literally two years, two times a year, we have a summit by group. And at the end of the summit, the slide says we define culture as service and we do things with service. So get it great is our culture term. And really it just means if you're in a situation right now, whether you're building technology, you're testing it, you're designing it, you're working with a customer, you're working with an employee, you're working with each other. What do you need to do right now to get it great? So a year from now, we look back and say, crushed it guys. We got it great for each other. I'm a strong believer. It starts at home. And I'm talking about the office for this point, but so our culture of get it great. We really, uh, first of all, you hire people wired toward, I want to create amazing experiences. And then you train them what we mean as a common language. So we onboard people with a couple different books. There's a Disney book and a, a Fred Factor book. And we say, this is what we're talking about. Are we all on the same page? And then we do front stage, backstage training. You know, if you ever go to a theater, it's beautiful and amazing. If someone opens the door and the light shines, you just, that experience just changed or the ladder fell, that experience just changed. We talk a lot about, we're creating experiences, make them awesome. Let's, let's influence everything we can to be fantastic. And people are excited to be part of something special. And quite frankly, most people are very good at contributing to that and putting their fingerprints on greater and greater. So we also work on trying to develop the talent at the, at the core. Self-awareness helps you know how you influence situations. We all want to be I believe most people are well-intended and they want to positively influence. So if we can provide people some curriculum, we have an EQ coach out of Chicago and some books to gain some self-awareness, we can kind of realize what we're contributing. Okay. I walked in the room and everyone got stunned. What was my part in that? <laughs> How do I not do that again? Or maybe I needed to do that. And I don't know. I could go anywhere. But so culture is just, you know, how do we do things? So we, we kind of joke, if you've ever gone out to eat with a couple that you can tell fought the whole way there and you get there and you're like, oh, forgot to tell you, one of my kids didn't look so hot when I left this, we're going to have to make this brief. We don't want to be that company that you walk in the door and you're like, man, I feel that fighting couple or our technology looks like two guys were arguing when they designed it or two women were arguing. It, it, go, it bleeds all the way through to me. It's, there's no, no, no boundaries to it. I guess surprise. So this get it great, you know, CRI, hashtag get it great, get it great for our consultants, get it great for each other, for our clients. It's absolutely natural that from now on, a fan engagement experience, a fan experience app would come out of it. It's just like the uh, same music, maybe second verse, <laughs> a little different beat to it. But, and I think our groups are, I'm kind of motivated by when I hear somebody's proud that works at CRI and they're proud of our solutions team or they're proud that we just picked up their alma mater or we're working with the NCAA. Oh my gosh. It's so fun to like be part of something you're proud of and the people around you are proud. I, I think it's, you know, it's inspirational. 
What about this idea of an innovation lab then speaking to a tolerance for failure when, you know, I have to assume that most of the ideas go nowhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can learn from them, obviously. But yeah. In today's world, you can map yourself anywhere. So there's really little tolerance for taking a wrong turn, turn when you're in the Lincoln, you know, because the, the map's going to tell you, get back on the interstate and take a left. So, um, so I think our communities, our world is so much more efficient and let's do things right. And let's get there and let's be quick. I, I struggle with the word failure because it feels like a destination. And I feel like the whole thing's a journey. Bear with me. I mean, I, I haven't talked a lot about that, but in my mind, I always go, it's kind of a point in time. It's not where we end. So yeah, in the innovation lab, I would say I pulled my hair out a number of times. I actually am not in the pitch meetings or anything. I think, um, I don't think I have an influential role for some of that. I think that let people's ideas be their ideas, let them go where they want to go. We have started like it from now on, we have an innovation lab. When COVID hit, we, we, we do fan engagement at venues and events, man, there weren't any, but, but sponsors still needed love. Sponsors still needed to be in front of these fans. Athletic departments needed the money from the sponsors and fans were more addressable than ever. We're sitting at home bored, just dying for something to fill our spirit. So in our innovation lab, we right away said, guys, let's, I jumped in with them all together. And we said, all right, we need to develop the fastest technology we can. So sponsors get love with no events and fans are engaged with no events and schools feel like they have something to hold on to. And man, I'll tell you what, they blew out this trivia product and like, 60, 90 days. And it's awesome. 44% of our schools are using it. So um, it's, it's hard. I think my temperament is probably to um, give my opinion, but I've learned to try to be one of the last to talk because I'll maybe shrink someone's thinking and not intend. And they probably have a bigger place they were going to go if I stayed out of it. So we're some of the parts, you know, better than like one person's thought process. And sometimes you do scratch your head and you know, I've had so many business leaders say, I don't know why you'd pay for that. Or I'd want a weekly report or I'd want more process around it. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I haven't read many books on a perfect innovation lab. I kind of, um, some things you just have to trust a little better. You got to have the right people. It's, isn't it about believing the people are genuinely committed to the cause they care and they're well-intended and they'll take the feedback. So I try to say, here's the current environment of our industry. Try to see if your ideas can align with something of value there. Again, back to journey, what they learn playing with this technology and trying to get stuff done, our customers benefit and they benefit. mentioned something about the early years of CRI when you bought out the investors and, and you alluded to the fact that there were some harder parts to that because that's the nature of business. Some of the negotiations are tougher than others. And so I, I get the sense that, you know, in more than two decades of running this business, you've learned a number of lessons and you've probably learned business lessons that are external, but also maybe some lessons about who you are. And mm -hmm. I, I want to invite you to maybe share uh, some of those lessons, both external and internal. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Uh, there, do you want to know what I learned this week or in the last 20 years? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I think we're green and growing. I think I'm, I'm going to be green until I'm 20 feet under. Um, I guess that's one place to start. It's continually growing and developing and learning is one thing I know, you know, what you have now might not get you where you want to go. 
and it might mean you need different people around you, or I need to mature myself or, you know, learn a few things or back off of a role I'm trying to take. In starting the business, you know, you have every role and then you slowly shed roles. And when you're really good at one role, it's hard to shed that role because your identity is tied to it. You get some adrenaline highs from closing big deals or whatever it might be. But in the interest of growing the company, if that's the goal for the people that are part of the company that want to be part of something growing, you got to do it. So one thing I learned early, and I guess I'll talk operationally, if I can put it that way, you really need to hire that green growing. And I didn't mean to strike such a theme, but when you hire people that are like, yeah, you know what? I want to be in sales forever and I want to make a ton of money. Great. I am so glad you're on my team. I'm glad I'm on your team. And then all of a sudden you need to promote somebody and you're looking around and they're like, don't pick me. And you're like, oh no, I got to go get somebody fresh from outside to run this beautiful team that I love. That's hard. Very hard. It works. Um, Sometimes it's actually important to do it that way. So I learned to try to hire people that you can see are going to take on that next role if we're trying to develop a team, a talent, like building from now on. We've got some phenomenal just superstars. And I can tell we need to keep a big path in front of them or they'll go find a big path, but they're dedicated, loyal, you know, just a super get it great culture with that group. So I love that team being able to see their next, next, next. So one thing I guess learn in hiring, you know, really think about where your business is going and do you have plans for this person in the future? And are they interested in those plans? I think a peer group's really important. Um, a strength and weakness. I never think I'm the smartest one in the room. I probably, I, I wasn't a, a super accelerator in school. And so when you're early in business and you get ideas, you think they're right, even if my gut's not. And I had a, a coach once say to me, you got to start obeying your gut because you're making costly decisions that you know better. And that takes some interesting confidence, kind of quiet confidence. No one knows you're doing it, but you, and you're like, that was weird. That's a hard one to put my thumb on and explain, but that was a super big deal. So probably sometimes trusting that you do have the insight and the vision. I do now. I'm probably overflowing with confidence at 51, (laughs) but at 29, I wasn't sure. So, you know, trusting your gut as you make decisions. Um, I'm I'm pretty good at listening to other people already. I, I like to hear other opinions, but I'm not afraid to make the decision. I think uh, your mental state, I probably am like a lot of people in that I want to control my destiny. And that includes my attitude and my influence. And I think part of my mission on earth is to, you know, leave people better than I found them and be generous and give more than I take and just simple little nice neighbor stuff. So, I've worked really hard on attitude. You know, I start every day, go big and fig. So this is a coach taught me this, go big, begin in gratitude. So in the morning, you jot your 20 gratitudes. The end of the day, end in fig, finish in gratitude, jot your 20. Why 20? Because we can phone in too. Hey, I love this cat, the morning cat. And gosh, it's, I love snow, it's snowing today. So if you do 20, like all of us, this is just one simple thing that probably most people kind of do. When I want to do 20 at the end of the day, My competitive spirit all day is turning everything into gratitude. I can make that something I'm happy about. This is fun to be with Stuart. And boy, I love looking out this window. So anyways, that I've learned that it's so important to actually daily work on that stuff. I've fortunately been wired positive my whole life. I haven't struggled with things like that. I've known people that have, but I also don't take it for granted because I feel like I impact the people I'm around and I'd like to be a positive impact, be a little fun along the way or bright, shiny thing in someone's day, maybe. <laughs> so those kind of developmental things, little and big, I'm constantly seeking those. I love to hear what other people do. What's working for you? Oh, maybe that'll work for me. It feels to me inevitable that you would be pursuing this successful role, uh, being entrepreneurial, encouraging people into this lively culture, being a role model for other people. So this feels natural, just having spent 30 minutes with you. And, and we didn't know each other before this, but um, it feels kind of inevitable. Um, and yet I, I have to then talk about, I think, what is also um, the, the truth behind the stereotype, which is when you think sports, when you think entrepreneurs, when you think technology, you don't think women you're breaking those boundaries, but I don't expect that that was necessarily easy. What perspectives do you have on the fact that there is some truth to that stereotype? Yep. The kind of barriers that you face, the kind of assumptions that you had to navigate, dare I say, even just the straight out bias that you just had in your face 
Um, I'm just curious about your lived experience of, of those kind of issues. Yeah, it's a sensitive topic and an important one that we all need to share with each other, isn't it? Uh, you know, again, at the core, I grew up a tomboy with brothers that was picked early for the kickball team. So, you know, you can't shake who you were, you know, some dirty tomboy playing sports and felt like I was just part of the pack. And then you get into the professional world and, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I, I usually would be with my buddies and I'm over here kind of by myself and I'm the only woman in the room. And, and what's kind of interesting, I try to think about this because it's not natural that I think of this every day. Um, I'm kind of more of one that I see possibility. I don't see barriers. It's like, oh, if that's the case, then we can do this. Oh, that's in the way. There's a wall. We can do this then. And so I'm just naturally wired that way. But I am sensitive to my responsibility. And a lot of women feel disadvantaged or cultures are biased or, you know, things that exist. I believe there's been progress, you know, when I um, over the years. But I think at a higher level, I'm not sure how much progress so I would say I don't feel tons of barriers because, again, I'm maybe aggressive pursuit of competition and I would see it as a weakness. <laughs> That's probably the raw truth. But so along the way, you know, starting a business, sitting with the bank in my JCPenney suit and my nylons and closed toed shoes in 1999, I wasn't getting any deal. Well, you've painted a great, that's a picture. <laughs> I mean, you, you remember that clearly, very, very oh. viscerally. Oh, I can tell you what chair I was in in three different banks in that year. And I didn't get any bank to sign my paperwork. So I, uh, we got a CFO that was older than me, probably more trustworthy than me from a financial projection perspective. And all of a sudden these banks are competing for our business. My financial position didn't change. You know, I think I'd saved $60,000 in my 401k and put it all in there or maybe not even that much. It was probably my husband and I's money. And then we raised a bunch. So you know, just it was clear to me at that moment that um, to get what I want to get done, it's going to take a team and the team needs to look different than each other because we're you're not going to get stopped. You know, we want to get stuff done. There's been a few times, more than a few, that maybe I'm the only woman in a boardroom. Um, sometimes it's interesting. I, I Gosh, Facebook, uh, she wrote the book, Lean In. I have had the situation where there's maybe another woman and she feels like you're taking her token away. So you go to sit by her and they're almost awkwardly uncomfortable. I think we're all on our journey though. We're all trying to explore. I think most people, again, are well-intended. There is always someone in the room that's your champion. There's always someone in the room that you can get comfortable with and gain some confidence from and move forward. And, you know, quite frankly, there's some rooms I just don't want to be in. I've had a few of those and thank you, but my day is better served somewhere else. And that exists. And that's, you know, one of those I went through, I actually tapped the leader in Omaha and I'm like, I'm struggling with this. I feel like I'm backing out. And he's like, you don't belong there. <laughs> I came home, I'm like 45 years old. I came home and I told my husband, I'm like, he told me I don't belong there. And he's like, it's like, you got a hall pass from a teacher. You're 45 years old. You've been running a company for 15 years. Why did you need someone else to tell you it's okay to leave that group? They don't, you know, it, you don't belong there. So some of those things are just interesting. Again, I think in general, most people are well-intended, you know, by human nature, most people migrate toward people like them. It's less threatening, it's less conflict, you have a lot in common. Our community, I think, has a bright future on this topic, I hope, I believe so, of diversification, inclusion, equity, and all, all of those things are being talked about. I think most people, again, are well-intended, but it, it can take a while to get some people to come around to it. Recording this mid-January in 2021, and 2020 was a difficult year for many. 21 feels like more of the same but worse in some respects. But there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's really good to be positive looking forward, but I but I also I don't want to avoid the tough issues because if we avoid them, we just don't deal with them. So certainly diversity is one aspect. Equity and diversity is one aspect. We were talking about that. But you also mentioned Lean In, which was Sheryl Sandberg's book, it's a bit of a trope and a cliche to say it this way, but you, you can have it all. And I, I'm not sure that anybody can have it all. I think life is always about balancing. 
thinking about Lean In and being a successful entrepreneur, I wonder what that's meant for you as a, as a family person. Like, How have you balanced work life? How have you navigated that, as it were, sort of behind the scenes? Yeah, I think, gosh, you have good questions. I'm going to do one call out if you don't mind and then jump to it. So I would say there's a huge pack of, um, well, I feel very supported in Omaha by my peer group or whatever. There's a huge pack of women leaders. Sela Quinn is a beautiful person to maybe put on your agenda. She started a women executive group. And I'll tell you what, the support amongst them. Actually, at first I was like, wow, is this for real? These women are awesome. And they're here to have dinner with me. I'm having dinner with them. It's just been a beautiful thing. And then, you know, you leave an environment like that and you perpetuate it yourself. So people like her are role models to me. Balancing, geez, man, I do want it all. And my husband um, was a football coach and a high school teacher. And when we started the business and had a one-year-old, I had a one-year-old when I started the company and um, he went part-time. And then shortly after that, stopped working, early retirement. So beautiful partner that I have, he was willing to step in. Now, um, I bet most moms would say when, when your kid's sick and you're hustling to work and your husband's home with them, you need something to look forward to when you get to that office because you got a tear in your eye and your gut's not right. And you're like, and, but you know, I'm pretty good at, you know, I've always joked that I can walk across hot coals if I really want what's on the other side. I won't even feel it. It's kind of a focus thing. I'm not sure if it's good either because sometimes you drag unwanted people across those coals. Not, not, a good, not a good strategy for building relationships. So those days weren't awesome. And I had time, you know, I've had my share. Most has been good. So I'm pointing out maybe some minor milestones, but where you do have the mom group say, don't you wish you could quit working? Do you feel bad? Do you miss everything? I don't feel like I miss everything. And those trade-offs exist. My husband has been a great dad. And these girls are super close to their dad and their mom. I was in this group called Strategic Coach in Chicago, entrepreneurial coaching program. My cousin um, introduced me to like 18 years ago. And you do goal setting every quarter. And I don't always look at them, but I write down every quarter. And I have a goal by every kid. Lauren is L, Grace is G, Catherine's K, and every quarter. And since they were little, I've had a tuck-in goal per week. Because, you know, you have events and you travel. And I believe if I, and to this day, my 18-year-old's home for, from college and I'll sit on her bed. And my 15-year-old probably doesn't love me announcing it, but I'll go rubber back at 10 o'clock and stuff comes out. It's like they say, if you play catch with a kid, they tell you about their day and it's less threatening and your conversation can be very open and supportive and both of you benefit. So I've always done the tuck-in with uh, the girls, two more than the third. The oldest one was a little more independent, but, and it helps keep a connection. What's going on? A mom, I want to fill your bucket. So you sleep beautifully and you wake confident and you have all the opportunities life can bring you. And so stuff like that's always been important. My husband, and I believe in that confident home, you know, hold them accountable, make your bed, brush your teeth, pick your junk up. But man, let's, let's make you the most confident beast you can be because maybe you'll go do great things for people. So I think if I write down what I think is important through the quarter, and, and I know it sounds kind of like I have an agenda for my family, I guess it's how I work. Uh, keeps me from like the gorilla on your back worrying, am I doing my part? Yeah, I, I want this many tuck-ins. We eat dinner at the table a lot. Our kids love to set the table real big, put some candles, dim the lights, play some fun music and spend two hours. Last night, we probably spent two hours at the table. So there's just those points that aren't like this amazing event. It's day-to-day DNA of being part of each other's life. I've tried not to compromise those. You know, one year I traveled a boatload. I was chairing a board in DC and just said yes (laughs) too many times. I don't regret it because I learned a lot, but, um, and here we are today. You don't go anywhere. We're tripping on each other. But I think some people judge or, or think maybe women do get labeled as maybe um, aggressive or cold or whatever when you're successful. And I've heard those comments from people and, you know, you just got to be true to yourself. And at the end of the day, you know, am I getting a hug from my kid or are they getting it from me, my husband, uh, you know, do the best you can and don't be afraid to change your plan. Sometimes you got to change the plan everybody's, you know, before COVID, especially, I think everybody was split in so many directions. I, I feel like we're all going to pause and say, some of that's not getting back on the calendar. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm not going to five conferences and speaking at these engagements and missing three nights with my family. Um, you know, so I, I wonder, I'm, I'm anxious to learn and share as we all mold through our next stage of our lives and businesses and this whole thing that we're going through. What are the lessons or experiences that you've encountered over the last 12 months? 
that you do want to carry forward for yourself, either as an entrepreneur, a leader, a business person, or personally? I'm a mind mapper from a goal setting. Surprise, I draw pictures. Not good pictures, but one thing that is, uh, so my two words for the year are smile and breathe. And so the smile, I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious that with the mask, you know, you don't get to trigger that grin on each other or feel the soul of the other person. And quite frankly, I swear more at games because I have a mask on and that's probably got to come to an end. <laughs> I, for some reason, think no one can hear me or see me. I feel like I'm, <laughs> but the, I think the, um, you know, just making sure that we don't change in the wrong direction. But I think I've really valued the family time, you know, just being able to have that extra family time. We all picked up time. How are we using it? And if you can't account for it, so be it. If you're happy with that, that's fine. But I've tried to do more daily breathing, a little bit more daily yoga, some meditation and family time. Sundays, we all plan out the meals for the week. It's kind of fun. Um, two are home from college. So it's different than when it's just my 15 year old and my husband and I. And so just being comfortable, being a little more still. on the, I, if I can pedal backward, the, you asked that what I've learned as a leader or what people, you know, in this time, if that's, you know, the one thing that I think people have given me feedback or just response to is be decisive, make decisions. And I think the more that we can control what we can, because there's so much out of our control, I've noticed the people around seem to welcome that. And so some things we might let go a week we're trying to decide on quicker. Let's eliminate the noise. We, right when this happened, I'm pretty quick at making big decisions. I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch, but I can tell you, I, you know, I can go make a big decision in an hour. I'm not sure. It's just nature of my, the way I think, I suppose, a weakness maybe. But um, I, when we first got into this position, we thought, geez, I should do a video every week just to communicate with everybody. And, and the three words that just came probably from listening to people is number one, safe. Hey guys, we had a lot of grace in the way we sent everybody home or you went home. Let's stay safe. Take care of yourself. Get what you need. And then be engaged. Hey, you feeling part of something? Are you engaged? And we want leaders to see their people every day. Zoom's not awesome to people, but we need our eyes on each other. People are struggling or, or maybe they're doing great and they can fill your bucket. So be engaged. Um, and the third one is productive. Everybody feels better if at the end of their day, they're like, nailed it, got that done, I contributed, and versus I'm not really part of anything. So our, our mantra is let's keep people safe, let's make sure people feel engaged, and, and let's make sure you're productive. And it's on you to be productive, make sure you're doing your part, you know your part, but it's on your leadership to say, here's where we're going, guys, and here's your part. Do you see what you got to do? Here's where we're going, here's your part. So that's been really, I think, helpful to be decisive and to help people feel like they're connected and part of something. I think our groups did a great job last year of each group staying close. Um, just great people caring about each other and meeting regularly. And we, we held together really well. This year, what I've kind of challenged our leadership with is great job with that. And we don't want 50 person Zooms, but cross pollinate. When we were in our office, people would go play basketball with two different teams. They'd play foosball against two different teams can't do that. So let's challenge ourselves to cross pollinate because people love to be part of a little bit of other stuff. And I, th I think they'll do it. We'll see. But those are some of the things, I guess it, it's a journey, isn't it? And I think, you know, I've, so many things we've read, I feel like I've joined more webinars this year and read more things related to this topic than I ever would have dreamt, but I love to learn from the other people, but don't pick an end date, make decisions for the window. You want to make them and make new ones when the windows come and close, you know, just keep rolling. My business colleague and I, sometimes we have a program that we call Cheering Up the Cheerleader. And you've talked about filling up your bucket. I'm wondering if, as a CEO, you've ever felt lonely? And who is it and how do you fill up these depleting reserves of your own positivity? Absolutely, you feel lonely. 
And I think it's the nature of being a responsible leader. Maybe I could get in an argument with somebody over that one and I'd be open to learning, but you can't put some stuff on other people. It's not in their control. They can't have an impact and they, it's not right. You don't go lay it on their lap and whine. My husband has been through many dress rehearsals of big conversations for the company or for a person or for a partner or whatever. He's in the safe zone, like back to the confidence. If I'm really feeling wrecked or something big, I got to tackle. I'm going to feel really confident on the couch if we're talking or standing in the kitchen. I also, I've always believed do the hard stuff first. So I try really hard. If I got something big and bad to handle, it's first thing in the morning. It's better for everybody. And try to get stuff out of the way. So you're back to that spirit you need to be to get your job done, to impact people, play your role, grow stuff and, you know, do great things for people. But I have a peer group too, um, locally and nationally, nationally industry peers that we really bounced a lot off of each other and we're, we've been together through a lot and we peel back the onion and say, man, I got a situation I'm embarrassed or nervous about or never been through, you know, check me on this one if I can walk you through it. Or, you know, again, people in the community, different people. So I feel fortunate that I do have people to go to, but I think a lot of leadership positions are lonely and in the business. Now, again, like I said, I can talk to my husband or a friend or whoever, so I, I, it's up to me to get out of that lonely mode and get into movement mode and productive mode because you owe it to everybody around you to get moving and don't let grass grow under your feet when you're in crisis. You got to move. And if you moved in the wrong direction, just change your direction when you realize it. <laughs> but I do think it's, I, I find it's the nature of leadership. You can't put stuff on other people and, and be truly removing their barriers and providing them like a pathway forward. I would love to hear other people's answer to that though. I will consider that then um, the closing invitation from you for people listening to to respond in the many channels that we have open to us to communicate yep. with each other. Yeah, that would be neat. My guest today has been Sue Thaden, founder and CEO of Client Resources, Inc. Sue, thank you so much for sharing your experience and wisdom with us. Yeah, Stuart, my pleasure. It was fun to spend some time together. I appreciate you having me on today. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast. We accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at livesradioshow. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Live's radio show and podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more.